Welcome to Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. We're so glad that you are listening with us today, and we hope that this message is a blessing. Amen. Well, yes, uh, you know I'm in the foothills if we say holler, but I don't sound like it, and that's because I lived in Missouri for about 13 years, but God brought me back home to North Carolina. And I just wanna uh, start by saying how grateful I am for this church. This is gonna get fun real quick. Um, (laughs) I am so thankful for you guys. So again, we launched March of 2020. So just drink that in for a little bit. Just let that settle deep in your soul. Feel that with me because... That was an experience. Um, We launched March of 2020, and I'm telling you, just having faithful brothers and sisters labor in prayer for your congregation and to be generous to your congregation is massive. It is so huge for us. So we're grateful for you, and I'm thankful to be here with you today. So something about me, I worked in the service industry for a number of years. I was in college pursuing ministry, And then also, even when I was doing my residency, stayed in the service industry. Does anyone want to guess what the least favorite shift in the service industry is at restaurants? Anybody? Yeah, Sunday lunch, right? Why? Anyone want to guess why? Because of us, all right? That's why. Church folk. You see, the church crowd is notorious for being the most demanding, the most impatient, and on top of all of that, the worst tippers, the worst, absolute worst. So I could share countless stories from different jobs, but the best story is from when I worked at McDonald's. That's right, that's right. I know who I am. It was awesome. So I was working at McDonald's, great job. We'll go by quickly. I got done with church, headed over to to start my shift. And I clock in and everything's going great. Everything's fine. And then all of a sudden, this large group of women come in. And apparently, this group of women had a reputation. They were gathering for their Sunday afternoon Bible study. Awesome. Can't wait. And so here I am, and and I'm I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm, I'm slinging McChickens and McDoubles left and right. Things are going great. And sure enough, the lady who was leading the group comes up to me and she goes from smiling, happy, cheerful to disdain and hate. She walks up to me and she (laughs) sets her sandwich down and slides it forward. And I'm like, okay, this is an introduction. Um, How's it going? It's like, yes, ma'am, how can I help you? And she looks at me again, like I'm the absolute scum of the earth. And she says, I said, no Mac sauce. What is that? What does that look like to you? I said, oh, ma'am, I'm so sorry. Please, please let me get that fixed for you. We'll get this taken care of. And without blinking, she shoves the sandwich forward causing it to fall on to me, getting Mac sauce all over my beautiful polo. And she says, before I can even respond, in the future, I expect better service. I deserve better service. Now, my coworker 
had already put together her sandwich. He comes over, hands it to her. She turns around and walks away. And now he knows that I'm pursuing ministry, that I'm going to go through college pursuing to become a pastor. And he slaps me on the back, looks at me and says, hmm, just like Jesus, just <laughs> like Jesus. Now, if you are following along this morning, we're gonna be in Mark chapter 10 in verse 32. And looking over our passage this week, that scene has played through my head. I deserve better service. See, over the summer, Redeemer has been looking at the gospels, asking this question, how do we live like Jesus? What does it mean to look like Jesus, to walk like Jesus well, today we're gonna to be in the gospel of Mark and Mark is great. It's this really fast paced, always moving forward, looking at what Jesus does, moving quickly gospel. And, and personally, I've been really blessed. We went through the gospel of Mark last year as a church. Man, even in particular, this sermon was just so many great things from guys like R.C. Sproul and, and, and Josh Lindstrom, thoughts on this that are amazing. And what's great about our passage is we just passed the halfway point of the gospel of Mark. And what happens now is Jesus's face is set towards Calvary. He's marching to the cross with purpose. And today we're gonna get what many would say is the purpose statement of Jesus. The focal point of this gospel. What we're going to see is the way of Jesus. Now, as I heard my coworkers sarcastic voice in my head, just, like Jesus, I wonder if you know what it looks like to walk in the way of Jesus, to look like Jesus. There's gonna be an interaction we see with Jesus and the disciples, specifically James and John, that has so much to teach us about the way of Jesus versus human self-centeredness. See, what we're gonna see is that we are called to serve. We are called to serve as we follow in the way of Jesus. Called to serve as we follow in the way of Jesus. So let's, let's unfold this. Let's go to our passage. And we're gonna start by looking at the way of Jesus. And here's where it starts. It starts with suffering. So the first thing is the way, the suffering servant. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 32. And they were on the road going to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid and, talking, and taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So Jesus again has his face set on what is before him. His face is set to the cross, to Calvary. He knows what he has to do, what his heart and what, what his mind are set on. He's leading the way to the suffering that he will endure. And meanwhile, behind him are all of his followers. And they're a whole mix of emotions. 
Jesus, just before this passage, had had a really stark interaction with a very wealthy young man that ended in a scandalous teaching moment. And now they're heading to Jerusalem. And there's this kind of mixed sense of anticipation with this uneasy feeling of what's gonna happen. Many of the disciples, they had an idea in their head of, hey, this is what it should look like. This is what it's gonna be like when the Messiah comes. Perhaps visions of revolution filled their head. But to this point, Jesus just keeps surprising them. I mean, left and right, he just keeps shocking them. So what's gonna happen in Jerusalem? Well, Jesus doesn't hesitate to tell them. He says, we're gonna go to Jerusalem. I'm gonna be arrested. The Jewish leaders are going to condemn me to death. They're gonna deliver me over to the Romans. They'll beat me, ridicule me, then they will kill me. But after three days, I will rise from the dead. Friends, this is the clearest, most detailed foretelling of his death that Jesus has given thus far in the gospel of Mark. He plainly tells them the road ahead. This is what's gonna happen, guys. He tells them the way in which he is headed is a way of suffering. I wonder if the suffering servant poetry of Isaiah is going through his mind. Isaiah 53, five says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. See friends, as we follow Jesus, we're to see the example of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Earlier in Mark chapter eight, Jesus says that when we follow him, we pick up a cross. Some of us need to be reminded that the way of Jesus is a way that follows after the suffering servant. What we have to do is dismantle the false gospel that following Jesus is gonna be some life of abundance. It's gonna be a life of prosperity and, and earthly gain. Not at all. Peter, again, writing to a Christian audience that is facing immense suffering, immense trials, they knew that following in the way of Jesus would lead to hard moments, would lead to suffering. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Friends, the abundance, the prosperity that we're given, it's not in a flush bank account. It's in a risen king. Jesus's face was set towards Calvary. He knew the cost. He knew and he knew fully. He was not surprised by it. He considered the cost even when those around him misunderstood. So friends, this morning, the call for us is to fix our gaze on Jesus. God sovereignly and providentially has laid out the road that Jesus would walk the plan that he would accomplish. And it is no different for us.
God orchestrates the steps of our lives down to the final detail, the last breath. There are no accidents, no surprises with our God. So can I just just say like as a side here, for those of you who are suffering, for those of you who are, are questioning how, why God, why would you let this happen? It's a time when we step back and we remember Joseph's words. Now, if you didn't grow up in church and you don't know the story of Joseph, it's not a fun one. Um, he is beaten up by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused, thrown into prison. You know, at some point you'd think like, hey, what's going on? Like Joseph would just look up and be like, come on, but he never does. And when he finally stands before his brothers, those who had thrown him in the pit, he says, what you meant for evil, God used for good. Friends, let me say it this way. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. You see, Jesus knew that in the moments of his crucifixion, the disciples who were following him now, they had this perfect picture of what the Messiah would be, what it would look like to follow him to glory. And they're seeing him crucified. They look on with horror as they scatter. They would question and they would say, this is the worst possible thing that could have happened. Yet, all the while, God's redemption plan of rescue is unfolding. So friends, as we seek to be like Jesus, as we seek to serve others, it may well be difficult. In fact, we're told it will be. We may have moments of tragedy and hardship, but our God can use it to purpose a plan that we can't even fathom. See, God wants to infuse life's hardest moments with purpose. Your family, your friends, they may totally misunderstand. They may wonder why in the world would you be willing to serve? Why would you be willing to suffer? You wanna do what? You wanna follow Jesus' ministry? Are you kidding? Why, wait? why would you waste all this talent and education? You wanna go where? Missions? Have you lost your mind? Do we need to get you on some medication into some counseling? Redeemer, remember, God has a plan for your life, crafted to the last detail, to the last breath, the last beat of your heart. Jesus Christ, the son of God was sent to serve and he sends us to serve. Count the cost. See, as we follow the way of Jesus, we're gonna see the suffering servant, but we're also gonna see his disciples still deeply misunderstand. They're still looking for their glory. But again, the way of Jesus is not one of ease. It's not one of earthly gain, but it's one of humble service. So we see second, the way, the humble servant. Look at verse 35 with me. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Okay. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? 
or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. So no sooner does Jesus give the message that he's going to go to the cross with, with such detail that two of his own inner circle come with a totally different idea. They come to Jesus like a little kid that comes up to you and is like, hey, before I ask, can you just say yes? You ever had that before? You know, I love that. And here's what they ask for, glory. They ask for glory. Their request reveals this just complete lack of comprehension. This complete and total, we, we miss the point of what you just said, Jesus. But it also reveals their selfishness. See, Jesus had promised, if you look at Matthew 19, he had promised the 12 apostles they would sit on 12 thrones with him in the kingdom. But that, however, was not enough. You see, their request is we want the best seats in the house, in the kingdom. Their request reveals first their superficial understanding of what it means to follow Jesus and to be his disciple. And second, it reveals their inflated opinion of their own importance, which just as an aside is something that those who are called to lead can easily fall victim to. And third, it reveals their, their wrong-headedness, as we say in the foothills, their hard-headedness on how God measures greatness. You see, their desire is really, if we're honest, what many of us want. The idea of being a servant, it goes against our human inclinations. You see, we usually have a pretty high view of ourselves. We, we often expect to be served. Our culture is built around this. I mean, we wake up in the morning bossing Alexa and Siri around. That's what we do. We value the seat of honor. We want to be noticed. We want to be appreciated. Likes exist for a reason. We crave it. James and John didn't want to hear about the cross. They just wanted to hear about the crown. They were looking to a future glory where, where they would be right beside Jesus as he shines in glory as the Messiah. And they wanted to be right there on the right and the left. At the time of our Lord's greatest glory, there were indeed men on his right and his left. They were not two apostles on thrones. They were two criminals on crosses. Jesus responds to the two brothers, these sons of thunder. He's gentle, but he's firm. He's gracious, but he's direct. He compares his approaching suffering and his death to drinking a cup and to experiencing a baptism. And these are really interesting, really powerful metaphors. See, drinking a cup with someone speaks of sharing in that person's fate, their destiny. But the cup was also a common picture of the wrath of God and judgment. And the baptism he referred to meant going down beneath the waters of death. Death. 
so that sinners may be forgiven. The cup, the baptism, the suffering on the cross, it was a divine appointment. And the brothers hear this and they just say, oh yeah, we can do that. We can do that. Got it. No big deal. And again, their all too quick answer reveals that they clearly do not understand. They're thinking again, revolution, glory. Yeah, sure, we're gonna go to war, Jesus. We get it, it's gonna be hard, but we can take it. And Jesus reveals that they are indeed going to face a similar fate. Suffering was going to mark their lives. James would be the first martyr in the church. And John would be the only disciple not martyred, left alone on the island of Patmos. As far as who would be on his right, who would be on his left, it wasn't up to Jesus. He would submit to his father's will on who would be on his right and his left. Now, this is a moment where I just wanna zoom out a little bit and realize, friends, we can, we can read this and we can laugh at James and John and be like, goobers, but we can be this way, can't we? See, we're so focused on what we want, when we want it, how we want it. We often go to the Lord with our ambitions. We go to the Lord with our desires. Have you ever thought about how messed up we would be if God gave us our every request? These disciples are thinking of themselves only. Something that will help us a little bit is if we look at Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two, start at verse three. Now, Philippians two gives us this beautiful poetry of Jesus's humility. It's a very challenging passage. And this is what it says in Philippians two, starting in verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I could just stop there. We could pray and we could all be convicted together. That's really challenging. Let's keep going. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus, friends, demonstrates what true glory is, but he demonstrates it through humility. What's the motivating factor? It's love. It's love. This is a moment where we see human self-centeredness versus the humility of Jesus. Humility, friends, is the way of the kingdom. James and John, they have a kingdom in mind, but it's the kingdom of self. Their desire for power, their desire for dominance, it focuses their attention back to themselves. And what this does, friends, is it kills love. What do I mean? Well, love by nature is not focused on self. 
Someone that's really helped me over the years to understand the humility of Christ is Henry Nouwen. I wouldn't get all my theology from him, but man, he's got so much good stuff. So Nouwen was a respected professor at Harvard, was well-known, had a ton of renown, and he left all of that to go and live and work with those who are developmentally disabled. Wow. When he thought about this idea of power and leadership, this is what Nowen says. He says, what makes the temptation of power so seemingly irresistible? Maybe it's that power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. It seems easier to be God than to love God. Easier to control people than to love people. Easier to own life than to love life. Jesus asks, do you love me? And we ask, can we sit at your right hand and your left in your kingdom? Friends, we are not humble like Jesus. We do not love like Jesus. The way of Jesus is humble. Humility, friends, it's the work of God in us that makes all the other good things in our faith and Christianity possible. What do I mean by that? Well, faith, would anybody sing what we sang earlier? I depend on you. We are allergic to dependence. We want to be independent and have it all together. Would anyone depend on Christ as a needy, weak, and sinful person if God had not made them humble? Worship. Would, would anyone earnestly make much of the worth of God instead of craving to be made much of themselves if God had not made them humble? Obedience. Would any of us surrender our autonomy? and submit obediently to the absolute authority of scripture if God had not made us humble. Love, would anyone seek the good of others at a great cost to themselves if God had not made them humble? And on and on and on it goes. See, James and John believed in Jesus but they understood wrongly the values of Jesus. They took his words as cause and opportunity for personal advancement. This is our shot. We're gonna be at the top. They're blinded by their own ambition. Has that ever happened to you? Has that ever happened to you? Do you ever seek to use Jesus for your own personal advancement? Now, before you answer, a little test. Here's the question. Just one question. If God, if God were to answer all the prayers that you have been praying for as of late, who would be the beneficiary? If every prayer that you pray has you being the big winner, if it comes back the way that you want, Friends, if that is the case, then I would suggest that perhaps you're using God a little more for you than you are conscious, than you are conscious of the pain, of the suffering, of the hurt that's around you. Instead of lifting those concerns up before the Lord too. Would that we loved like Christ. 
that we were humble like Jesus. Now friends, something that we try to remember at Coram Deo is this, the kingdom, the kingdom of God is low, slow, and hidden. It's low, slow, and hidden. The way of Jesus, it's being the suffering servant. It's the humble servant. And finally, we see it's being the servant of all. Verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the other disciples, they hear about James and John and it said in verse 41 that they were indignant. Now they weren't frustrated with James and John because they were pious and holy and they were like, you know, you guys are just really selfish. You need to be more like Jesus. That's not what's happening. They're, they're mad because they had their own ambitions. How do I know this? Because it wasn't so long ago that they were arguing over who was the greatest. They're mad at James and John because they got there first. Like this is like when you go to your boss you're like, hey, I really need this time off. I really wanna go and like hang out with my dad. It's Father's Day, so I'm gonna ask for this weekend off. And someone goes into the office right before you and asks for it. And when you go in there, they're like, ooh, yeah, we're kinda, we're kinda, we're gonna need you. You know, it's kinda that moment where you're like, dude, oh, I was like on my way. That's what's happening here. Now, here's the thing. Our culture would say self-promotion is great, Right? There are seminars on building your personal brand. But in the kingdom, in the way of Jesus, self-promotion could not be more wrong. Jesus points to the dominating leadership in the world and says, y'all, that ain't it. They may dominate, they may exercise their power, but if you wanna be great, be the servant. Don't just be the servant, be the servant of all. The preeminent virtue of God's kingdom is not power, it's not freedom, it's service. Do you wanna be great? You wanna do something great for God? Do you wanna please and honor Jesus with the whole of your life? Then friend, be the servant of all. Do the grunt work. Take out the trash, think of others. Here's the beautiful thing about being in a church plant. This is coming from someone down the mountain that does something similar. Stack chairs, put them out, show up early, stay late, serve others so that you can make it possible for people to hear the gospel heralded and proclaimed. Think of others first. You see, what Jesus does is he reverses all the ideas of greatness. He turns everything upside down. There's a voice in our head from our fallen, sinful nature that can whisper persuasively, the Lord takes care of those who take care of themselves. There's just enough truth there to deceive us and just enough heresy to derail us. Jesus, friends, he has told us that he will die in Jerusalem and now he tells us why. 
Jesus makes a promise that no other religious leader in the world has made or could make. And that's that he came, friend, to serve you. Not just as our example, but as our ransom. Let me just say this. You can't earn this. We, we, we live in the South where there's this perpetuating do-goodism of, of try harder, be more, do better. You can't earn this. You can't pull yourself up, muscle your way through, or spend enough to earn your salvation. If you could, then Jesus would not have had to come. Christ, friend, Christ saves you. He gives his life for you. Ultimately, all of our doing, all of our Christian service exists only to draw attention to this source, to our crucified and risen Lord who gave himself as the ransom for all. When it comes to humility, when it comes to suffering, Jesus does not only teach, he leads the way. He serves and he calls you and me to follow him. Is there anyone that you think that you're better than? You're not. Rather, Jesus would call you to place yourself beneath them, to be their servant. There is no one that Jesus loves less than you. What would it look like in Johnson City if, if you lived like this, with this kind of service, this kind of humility? What, what would happen if you went out of your way to serve your waitress? <laughs> Let's make it real practical here. What if we genuinely loved and cared for the overwhelmed workers navigating the post-pandemic labor crunch? You know, what if we weren't the people that was like, oh, I'm never going back there. I had to wait for 25 minutes because they have two people. We have no patience, we have no grace. What if instead of demanding to be served, we just simply served? Friends, if we lived like that, if we set Jesus at the forefront of our hearts, at the forefront of our minds, I think people would start to long for him. I think people would start to see Jesus. Now, verse 45 here, it's the theme verse for the whole gospel of Mark. It's, it's, it's what the story of Mark has been marching towards. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Th those two words, for even, they should sit with you. They should haunt you. For even the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for even he did not come to be served. So why would I ever think that I am entitled to it? The God of the universe who spoke the cosmos into existence, the sovereign Lord in whom all things are held together came down to serve. But yet, here I am, and I look down on somebody? It's, it's ridiculous. 
And Redeemer, if you look down on someone, it is ridiculous too, because Jesus came to serve. And listen, make no mistake about it, Jesus's entire earthly life was grossly unfair. It was grossly unjust. He was in glory being worshiped as he rightfully should. And yet he put on flesh and he put himself in the arms of the people who made it, he whom he had made, people who would mock him, people who would spit on him, people who would flog him and crucify him. Those people were being kept alive by his spirit, Redeemer. He did that for you. He did that for you. And the pull of our world, friends, is to push us back to the kingdom of self over and over again to make much of ourselves. Something that's helped me in illustration is that, you know, the game you play when you're a kid in the pool, not Marco Polo, but the one of who can stay underwater the longest, you try to sit at the bottom of the pool. So whenever you do that, it takes considerable effort because your body wants to float up. And that's what the pursuit of following in the way of Jesus looks like. We have to be intentional about staying low because on our own, the pool of our flesh, the pool of the culture that will constantly want to pull us up and we have to fix our gaze on Jesus. This morning, maybe you, you got invited here by a friend and you're like, wow, who's this weird like tattooed dude from the foothills yelling at me? I'm sorry. Um, I just wanna say this. This is what makes Jesus so different than any other religion. You see, every religion says, do good, please God. Live a moral life, be a decent person, satisfy God. Christianity is the only religion where God serves you. It's, it's mind-boggling. It, it, it's, it's incredible. Jesus serves us. And the question we must ask ourselves is, whose kingdom do I want? Whose kingdom do I want? Whose way do I want? Do I want the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of self? How can I be like Jesus? How can I love? The answer, friends, is be a servant. Be a servant. My prayer is that we would showcase Jesus to others. That we could live out the gospel. That people would see you and just be blown away by your life. Why do you have so much joy? Why are you always so humble? Why are you always so willing to go out of your way to love me and to serve me? I don't understand it. They would be compelled by your love, by your service, by your humility. Look like Jesus, friends. I'll tell one story and then I'll, I'll pray. Um, church planning during a pandemic um, is awful. <laughs> Just so you know, <laughs> it's miserable. In 2021, 
it was so challenging to pastor. There were, there were so many varying perspectives on the pandemic, on what to do, how to respond. There were Sundays where I just went home and felt like I, I just like preached my guts out. What, does it matter? I was struggling and, and wrestling with depression. Do I keep going? Do I keep doing this? Is it worth it? At the end of February this year, I, I was really considering there was a, a temptation to potentially take another job somewhere. And a friend of mine who I've been praying for for years, for years, guys, seven years, this guy has hated Jesus, hated the church. The way that woman I talked about at the beginning, that's how he felt about all Christians. We're all the same. We're all just a bunch of jerks. We're all self-entitled. He comes to my office broken, confused, frustrated, a little inebriated. And he left and I thought, man, I really hope this guy doesn't end his life. <laughs> One week later, and I know this is long, and let me just wrap it up here. One week later, I'm sitting across from him. He asked if we can get lunch. And he says, I don't know how to say this, but I think I'm a Christian. I was like, we got a lot of gaps to fill in here. <laughs> Hold on, what? He said, there was a time where I didn't even imagine it possible to believe. But God, through his grace and his mercy, has made it to where I can't help but believe. What was it that did this for you? He said, well, he was watching guys like you, guys like other friends that he mentioned, come into my life, be patient, be willing to serve, to love me, to love my family. It's just the way that people serve me. I've never seen anything like it. The gospel is worth it. Everything in this world breaks and crumbles, but not Jesus. Don't serve yourself. It'll just lead you to despair. Serve the risen one. It will give you joy unimaginable, hope beyond hope. He is worth it. His kingdom is so much greater than your little kingdom. Be the servant of all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the hope of Jesus. We're so grateful, God, that you would love us, pursue us, care for us. God, that you would save people who are so far from you and turn them to you. Not with eloquence, not with grand, huge moments, but with small, simple acts of service. Moments of humility, patience, endurance. So often, Lord, we can be those who are about ourselves. We can care more about political allegiances, song preferences and books than we do about the king of the ages. Forgive us, Lord. Call us back to life in you. Stir our hearts, compel us, Lord, to trust in you, to follow after you. We pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
If you're interested in learning more about us, you can check out our social media or website. Grace and peace to you.